Uh, first steps, lessons from Acts. Uh, we've been working our way through Acts, just basically taking a look at the, some of the key moments in the, the beginning of the church. You know, everything starts somewhere, and the church uh, of Christ, Christ's church started, uh, we read about that in the book of Acts, starting in Acts chapter 2. And then it, it builds and grows from there. And, so, and you know, everything we do um, as Christians and as members of the body of Christ, we do uh, kind of based on what they did because we, we, we want to try to do it right. And we know they were, you know, they showed us the way. And so uh, they're, they're the model we need to follow, those very first Christians. They didn't get everything right, and so we can see the mistakes they made. We're going to take a look at mistakes that, that were made uh, uh, in one particular church today. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's the, the book of Acts is a great, often called the, the church history book uh, because it's those early years of the church. And today I'm calling the sermon, Clean Up on Isle Corinth, a Beautiful Mess. We're looking in Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 17, Acts 18. So get your Bibles out uh, on your phone or uh, your actual Bible and, and open it up and, and, and just look there in, in Acts chapter 18. We'll also be looking in the, the uh, books of First and Second Corinthians, particularly First Corinthians some as well. Um, if you had to identify something as a beautiful mess, what are some images that would, would come to mind? Beautiful mess. Maybe your, your child on his first birthday as he's digging into the chocolate cake, right? How many of y'all did that? Got pictures of that, chocolate all over everything. Uh, or a grandchild covered in mud after he's been playing out in the rain. That's a beautiful mess, isn't it? Uh, how about uh, the, the mess after one of our shrimp boils that we have on Wednesday night? That's a great mess. Uh, uh, the living room after presents are open on Christmas morning. Is your, is your living room a mess? Jackie likes to keep that minimum. We, we got a trash bag and we're constantly putting stuff in it, you know, because she can't stand it. Um, how about the, the living room after your grandchildren have been there for the weekend? <laughs> yeah, that can be a mess. Uh, how about the kitchen sink after a really good Thanksgiving meal? Or the couch and the easy chair after a really good Thanksgiving meal? <laughs> uh, with all the men sitting around sleeping, trying to watch football. Um, and some women, too. My, my, daughter, my daughter in law Lindsay, she's like the biggest football fan ever, uh, and m m bigger than some of us. Um, a few missing teeth after a Stanley Cup victory. That's a beautiful mess, isn't it? <laughs> a beautiful mess could be defined as something of great value or beauty, Created from or emerging through great turmoil, disruption, destruction, pain, or discomfort. Beautiful mess. Beautiful messes can be found anywhere and, and everywhere, including and maybe especially in a church. Paul certainly found one when he brought Jesus to the city of Corinth. <laughs> you know, last week we were talking about Athens and uh, you know, Athens, uh, the Apostle Paul went to Athens, a, a place that's often called the education capital of the Roman world. Um, and just to kind of give you an idea of where we are, uh, you know, Athens was here in, in Greece, right there. And then we're going to jump over here to Corinth in just a minute. Um, uh, so he had spent some time there uh, trying to teach 
people in this uh, important city uh, in the Roman world in, in Athens. And now he's going to Corinth, which is often considered the commercial center of the Roman world. So you've got your philosophical center, and now you've got the commercial center. Um, Paul finds himself in Corinth. Paul stayed. Jackie and I actually went to Corinth. We, we actually toured the ruins there back in 1982. Uh, so we got some pictures of that with my stupid mustache and short shorts um, and tall socks. Uh, <laughs> you, you can picture that, right? Uh, um, Paul, uh, Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. In, in most cities that he, he went to, he only stayed a few weeks or a few months. Um, often he'd be driven out by protesters, uh, people that didn't like what he had to say, both Jews and, and pagans. Um, but here in Corinth, he was there for a year and a half, and the only place he stayed longer was in Ephesus, which was three years. Um, Corinth was a large and important city in the Roman Empire, a major shipping intersection of the Mediterranean Sea. So you can see, you know, it's right there on the point. So the, the, the Mediterranean Sea is, you know, is all surrounding it. And so it was a, it was a hub for, um, for shipping. Um, uh, it was a city of about 50 to 80,000, it's estimated. Uh, and it hosted any number of sailors, businessmen, shady characters from all over the world, as you can imagine, in a city like that. Um, Known for its thriving prostitution business uh, and general Roman appetite for sexual immorality. Corinth actually became a euphemism or a slang word for fornication. Uh, some have said that Corinth could make Las Vegas blush. So it must have been a pretty, pretty wild town. Um, this is where Paul finds himself with the task of telling people about their Savior Jesus in this city. But as usual, Paul is not detoured by this very difficult task, and in fact, he seems to be energized by it. Um, how many of us would, would have taken on those philosophers that we talked about last week, the Areopagus on Mars Hill? You know, how many of us would have been intimidated, so intimidated by the scholars and the educated guys that were there that we would have said, ah, oh, they'll never listen. They're unreachable. I'm not even bothered with them. Uh, yet, Paul bothered. Paul bothered, and it paid off, didn't it? It paid off. Uh, several of the wise guys and the wise gals uh, believed his message. Uh, others wanted to hear more of what he had to say. Yeah, some of them sneered, called him a babbler. Okay, that, he, he knew that was going to happen. But there were some who didn't. And there will be people in heaven uh, from that day, from that period of Paul's life, because he didn't shy away from that challenge, uh, even though many people would. So here in Corinth, Paul faces a culture that is uh, contrary, as contrary to Jesus as you could possibly get. <clears throat> uh, he comes with a message of unconditional love, forgiveness, purity, selfishness, equality, humility, self-control, commitment. That's the message of Jesus. Corinth is a culture of the exact opposite of all those, <laughs> of those godly characters. Hatred, selfishness, immorality, pride, bigotry, uncontrolled emotions, unfaithfulness. So that's, the, that's, the, that's what he's facing with, 
his, his message. So where do you start in a place like this? When you get to Corinth, like, you know, where, all right, where do I go? Where do I go? Where did, where did Paul go? The synagogue, of course. That's where he went first. That's where he always went. Uh, Paul had committed himself to sharing the gospel to the Jewish community wherever he went first because, you know, they were God's original chosen people. They're the ones that brought us Jesus. Um, they, so they got, always got the first chance to hear the gospel. And, and, you know, there was an advantage in reaching out to the Jewish community, and especially in a town like Corinth, um, because at least you knew in the synagogue, at least there you were going to be among some people who held some similar values of, as you. You know, they weren't going to be automatically hostile to your teaching or to your, you know, your moral teaching. Um, Christ was the fulfillment of the Jewish law. So this was, you know, Jesus wasn't some brand new religion that had nothing to do with any other religion. No, it was the fulfillment of the Jewish religion. Uh, so, you know, he taught the same moral values that, that they taught and that they practiced. Um, so that, uh, you know, you know uh, even, even though they, they may differ on the details about Jesus, Paul could at least find civility, godliness among the Jews. So at, at the synagogue in Corinth, Paul found himself um, he, more than just civility and godliness. You know, he actually found some partners there in the synagogue. Um, it, there was a couple there named Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, they had been recently, they were Jews, and they had been recently um, kicked out of Rome. The, the emperor Claudius had kicked all Jews out of Rome during that time. And, and Paul found them there, and he quickly connected with them. They were already believers, I believe. And, 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 and Paul joined them in their business. They had a, they had a business of making tents. That was, a, that was a thing back then. You know, you had a lot of uh, tents that you were used for various different things, not just for camping like we do, but uh, setting up booths for markets and things like that. Uh, some people might have even lived in them. So Paul had a skill, apparently, in being able to make tents, and he joined them in their business. Um, as in a Athens, Paul was waiting for his partners. Seems like he did that a lot. Silas and Timothy were his partners, but th it looks like they did finally join him in Athens because, remember, he was there by himself for a while waiting for them. They did finally join him, but then as he's going to Corinth, uh, they were sent off uh, to Thessalonica to deliver a, a letter to that church. So once again, Paul's by himself in the city of Corinth. And while he waits, he's earning his keep. Um, he didn't have to do that necessarily, but there's no church there yet. There's no way of, of uh, collecting money to, to, to help him in his needs. So he's got to, at first, he needed to earn his living. So he's making tents with Aquila and Priscilla, but he's also preaching at the same time on the side. When Silas and Timothy finally arrived, Paul then gave up the tent making and devoted his full time to preaching. So let's start in Acts 18, verse 5 through 6. Did I give you all the wrong chapter? No, I didn't. Okay. 18, 5 through 6. When Silas and Timothy came to Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, 
He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood is on your head, heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So you see here that the, the Jews, he went there, he spoke to them, as he always does. You know, there was some common commonality between them, but they were not very responsive as they often were not. Usually there was a split. There were some that believed, some that didn't. Um, most of them here didn't believe what he had to say. They rejected him. Uh, so Paul had to make a decision. He, he reached out to them. He, he always did that first, but they rejected him for the most part, and so he had, he had to make a decision. Do I keep preaching to these people that don't want to hear what I got to say, or do I move on? So after giving uh, his best effort with them, he decided to focus now on the Gentiles uh, there in Corinth. And, and remember, these, these are going to be pagans for the most part. Uh, and it's interesting to see uh, where he went and who went with him uh, when he turned his attention to the, to the Gentiles. Uh, verse 7, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, uh, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So Paul left the synagogue, shook off his clothes it's symbolically, and you know, I'm done with you guys, and he just moved next door to Titius Justice's house. Uh, and he didn't just go there alone. T Titius Justice apparently was a, one of those uh, God-fearing people, Gentiles, um, and uh, uh, some of the Jews, or a lot of the Jews rejected him, but not all of them did. The synagogue leader Crispus uh, and his whole family became believers. Interesting. It's interesting that a lot of others didn't follow, but you know he was convinced and he followed and joined Paul. And there, there they began the first house church of Corinth. They began the first house church of Corinth. And so the first church basically was made up of Paul, Silas, Timothy, Aquila, and Priscilla, Titius Justus, and Crispus and his family. That was their core group, a nice little group, wasn't it? Um, and so from this core group of people, the church uh, at Corinth began. Uh, and as the text says, uh, from that many Corinthians, pagans, Gentiles, believed and were baptized. And so from that point, the church begins to grow. Kind of neat to see how that happened. Now, it's interesting to examine the church at Corinth. You know, we don't know a whole lot about the church from this text other than how it began. Um, if we want to know more about it, about the church at Corinth, one of the cool things is we have some other uh, sources to find out what else happened in Corinth. Uh, at some point later, the Apostle Paul wrote a couple of letters, at least two, probably more, but at least two letters to this church in Corinth. We call these two letters 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Uh, they didn't call it that. It was just like, here's Paul's letter. Um, we call it 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Um, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians are a part of the New Testament. We talked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, what, what books made it into the New Testament. Um, one of the criteria was, was it written by one of the apostles of Jesus? If it was, then that's, that's something that should be included in the canon or the New Testament. Uh, and Paul was personally taught by Jesus himself 
And so anything that he wrote is going to be included in the New Testament. Now, originally, they were just letters that Paul wrote to this new church, specifically to them to address specific issues that were going on with this new church. And as you read these, these letters, especially the first one, uh, you quickly discover something about the church at Corinth. Corinth. The church at Corinth was a real mess. It was a real mess. Uh, just to give you an idea, let's look at some of the messes that were going on at the church in Corinth. Uh, the church was made up of every religious and economic level that existed in the city. Um, there were mostly lower class people in the church, but there were also very wealthy members in the church. And so uh, you had this clash of, of cultures and, and economic levels that, that wasn't working out very well many times. Um, between these two, the, the, the different groups. There was name dropping going on uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, 12 uh, and 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 9. People were, you know, bragging about who baptized them and who mentored them. You know, I was baptized by John well, I, or Paul. I was baptized by Apollos. I, you know, I was led by, you know, this Cephas. I, you know, so there was these, there were these, uh, you know, like comparing who, who mentored you, who baptized you. Maybe that puts you on different levels. Um, speaking in tongues was a spiritual gift that, that was often given to people during that time. And so there was some conflict about who had this gift and who could do it more than somebody else. And, and, um, and, and who was more important? Did, or were, you, were you more important if you had this gift or some other gift? You know, so a lot of disputes among each other about you know, who was better than somebody else um, because of who they knew and what they could do. Members brought lawsuits against each other, you know, for whatever reason. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11 talks about that. Um, one member was having sex with his father's wife. We assume his stepmother. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, 1. And if that wasn't bad enough, the church was tolerating it. They seemed to be okay. with. They weren't saying anything about it. Um, some of the members apparently frequented brothels or houses of prostitution, 1 Corinthians 6, 16. The wealthy people who could afford wine would, would get drunk during the Lord's Supper. Imagine that. Uh, when they had the Lord's Supper, they, it looks like they may have been having a meal, like a regular meal. But then at some point during or after the meal, they would then have the Lord's Supper. And so they would come and they'd, they'd be sharing these meals. But... Um, the, the poor people were ostracized, um, and so the, the rich people did their thing, and they, they didn't include the, the poorer people. They would, they would go hungry. They'd eat and, and, and gorge on the food and, and leave the others hungry. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 22. So, I mean, there was, they, they weren't honoring the Lord's Supper. They were dishonoring it. Um, some were still sacrificing to pagan idols. Before they would come to remember the sacrifice of Jesus during the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22. So, I mean, just, just think about some of those things that are going on at this church, and, and wow, what a mess it was. What a mess it was. But, but I want to say it was a beautiful mess. It was a beautiful mess. And, and you might look at that and you go, are you kidding? A, be a beautiful mess? I mean, sex with your stepmom? Uh, 
Getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, sacrificing to idols before you honor Jesus as sacrifice. How in the world can that be beautiful? And, and of course, their behavior was anything but beautiful. No, no, that, that wasn't beautiful. That was deplorable. That was deplorable. But before we dismiss the church as a failure, let's see, let's take a look at where this church came from and where it was going. Um, when, when Paul turned his attention to the Gentile community at Corinth, you know, Paul was dealing with a community of people who, think about this, all of their lives, all of their lives, all they had ever known was paganism, was the immoral culture of, of Roman society. Um, from childhood, they had been raised to believe that immoral sex was just not a big deal. Uh, in fact, it was a part of many of the worship that went on at pagan, in pagan religions. Um, you know, sex is sex. You know, there's no... So what if it's your, your wife or your stepmom? I mean, what's the difference? I mean, that's, that was where they were coming from. What's the difference? Um, looking out for self, that, that's what's most important. Um, uh, the wealthy, of course, they're superior to the poor. I mean, you know, that goes without even being said. Uh, you know, that kind of lifestyle is all they knew. That's all they knew. And now suddenly they hear this wonderful message of God's grace from Paul. That Jesus loved them so much that he died for them, for their sin. That, that, that they don't have to earn their salvation. Uh, and, and that was a, a wonderful message that they embraced. Many of them embraced it. Anybody would. It is a, a wonderful message, grace. They understood. You know, I'm sure they were taught about sin. You know, sin separates you from God, and, and you've got to get rid of sin in your life. No, no doubt Paul and Timothy and Silas taught those lessons. Um, but, but when we accept Christ as our Savior, one of the things that... that you know, we all know, we all know this. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, there is no switch that in our brain and in our hearts that just clicks on, and all of a sudden, we instantly know the difference between right and wrong, what's sin and what's not sin. You know, God doesn't miraculously fill our mind with that knowledge. Um, we don't instantly just stop sinning and lose our desire to sin anymore. As soon as we come up out of that, that water of baptism, those switches go on and we're, we're good for the rest. No, we, we all know that, right? That doesn't happen. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we still have this flesh, don't we? We still have our flesh to deal with. And if our flesh, all of its life, had been used to indulging in whatever sin it wanted to indulge in, all of its life, this flesh is not going to want to stop, is it? You know, it's not going to know. It never knows. Our flesh never knows what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. Our flesh doesn't care about what's right and what's wrong. It just wants what it wants. It, it, it likes pleasure, and whatever brings it pleasure, that's what it wants. That's what our flesh wants. I'm, ta I'm not talking about our hearts and our minds. I'm talking about our literal flesh. And if all of its life, our flesh has indulged in immorality, it's not going to instantly stop wanting to indulge. It wants to continue. 
So, as a Christian, it, our flesh must be brought under control. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to help us bring our flesh under control and teach our flesh to stop sinning, even, even tamp down those desires that it has. Um, our flesh must be taught what's right and wrong. It, it doesn't miraculously just know, oh, that's right, that's wrong. Um, it's got to be taught what's right and wrong and then be given the strength and the power to start turning away from sin. And that's a process that takes some time. So these people were a mess, you know, but they found themselves, and this, this is the key, these Christians found themselves in the only place in the world where their mess could get cleaned up. Perhaps one of the most uh, used hymns sung at the end of any church service is the hymn, Just As I Am, right? Every Billy Graham crusade. Uh, at the end, you always heard that hymn, um, Just As I Am. Uh, and the message, what is the message of Just As I Am? Uh, it's simple. God wants us to come to Him just as we are. Just as we are. God doesn't expect us to, to, to get everything straightened out first. You know, God doesn't expect us, all right, all right, when you completely stop sinning and never have an immoral thought in your mind again, when, when, you, when you accomplish that, all right, then you come to me, and, and then I'll give you my grace. Uh, no, no. He knows that if that was the case, if we got to get, get cleaned up first before we come to him, he knows we'll never come to him. <laughs> Because that'll never happen. We'll never get cleaned up first on our own without Jesus. That's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit that every Christian is given. It, it, without the Holy Spirit, we will always be a mess. We need him to help us get cleaned up. So that's true for those Corinthian Christians who were a mess. But you know what? Um, they were in the right place, the only place, the only place where they could get cleaned up. They were a beautiful, forgiven, grace-filled mess that was getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner every day in their walk with Christ. Biblical scholar and pastor professor Mark Moore said this, The message of the cross in all its weakness had penetrated the bowels of Rome's economic center. The power of the resurrection was transforming the elect in the midst of the world's worst vices. They, even, in the, even in Corinth, they could be cleaned up. Paul wrote uh, his letter to the Corinthians not to condemn them, now, he, he judged what they were doing, but he wasn't condemning them for eternity because of their sin. Um, Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians to help guide them in, in successfully leaving this worldly lifestyle that, that they had known all their life and embracing a life of being like Christ. That's what this letter was for, to help them see what a life like Christ would look like and what it doesn't look like, and where they should go. And, and the wonderful thing is today, today, 
uh, we still use this very same letter, this very same letter, and all the other letters that Paul and others wrote um, to help us clean up our messes. You know, Corinth wasn't the only church that was a mess. Every church, every church, including Stony Brook Church, has its fair share of messes. Because every church is made up of people who are sinners and are being affected by sin. We all are in some way or another. You know, you and I struggle with the very same things that they struggled with. We struggle with selfishness, with the temptation to indulge in immorality, uh, the weakness of the flesh. We all deal with that. Worshiping the world Monday through Saturday and then coming to church on Sunday to worship God. You and I are, are a mess sometimes. But it's a beautiful mess because we're in exactly the right place that we need to be to get cleaned up. You know, we came just as we were. A sinner who was lost and accepted God's wonderful grace, his forgiveness of our sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And armed with the Holy Spirit's power, and with letters like First and Second Corinthians and other letters in the New Testament, armed with those two things, we can learn, we can learn to put other people first. We can learn to say no to our flesh and have the strength and the power to, to actually do it. Uh, to, to say no to temptation, Satan's temptation. We can, with the power of the Holy Spirit, love our enemies. We can bring harmony back into a broken relationship. We can truly put Christ first in our lives. Not just think about it and say it, but do it. As, as he gave, as Jesus gave his life for us, we can give our life completely to him with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can stop, stop serving just ourselves and start serving him and serving others. You know, the beauty of the body of Christ, the beauty of the church, of, of us, is that, uh, the, that the church is constantly a work in progress. You know, we can never say, okay, we're, we're there, we're, 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 we're there, we're done. Phew! Don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, no, we're constantly, I know I am, I'm constantly a work in progress. I need to do better than I did yesterday on this particular issue in my life. You know, it's, it, it's forgiven believers at different points in their relationship with Christ working on being more like Jesus. You know, and so we're not all in the same place. We're, not, we're making progress, but maybe we're in different levels of progress. We're not uniformly moving all at the same direction where we finally all get there one day. If you feel like your life is a mess right now, know, you know what? You're not alone. <laughs> you are not alone. We're all in various stages of being cleaned up. And the key is to never stop letting God 
clean you up. You know, is Satan ever going to stop trying to throw dirt on you and hope that it sticks? Is he ever going to stop doing that? No, he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so we can never stop asking God to help clean us up. Because our flesh will always be weak. Our flesh wants what it wants. We can tame it down and we can, we can make it stronger, uh, but it's never going to stop being weak. So we need to arm ourselves with the cleaning agents that God provides for every Christian. Uh, and, and those cleaning agents are the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You know, we, we, talk, we say, yeah, yeah, at my baptism I received the forgiveness of my sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do, do we ever stop and think, and I have to do this myself, you know, when I get up in the morning, oh, that's right, the Holy Spirit lives in me. Holy Spirit, help me today to be clean. Help, help clean me up today, my mind, my thoughts, my actions, the things I do. Uh, you know, acknowledge the Holy Spirit is in you. Yield. He's constantly urging you and nudging you and reminding you. Remember that scripture you read the other day? Or you heard in that sermon, that lesson? Um, listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him have control. Let him have control. And so that, that's the first cleaning agent. The second cleaning agent is the Word of God. Letters like First and Second Corinthians and others that Paul wrote and Peter wrote and and James, and, and all the, the books of the New Testament, even the Old Testament. Um, the Word of God is the Word of God. And it's in the Word of God that we learn what sin is, what's good, what's, what's bad, um, how God wants us to live. And, and it's the only way we can know how God wants us to live, the Word of God. And the, so that's why it's so important for us all to be students of the Word of God. So read it on your own. Come out on Wednesday night and, and learn from the book of Romans. Uh, come a little bit early on Sunday and, and some great lessons that are taught there. Uh, get with a friend at the coffee shop or at their house and, and have a Bible study together. Know the Word of God. That can help keep you clean. And of course, another one is the body of Christ. You know, our spiritual family. We can encourage each other and lift each other. There's a lot of folks that aren't here today. You know, give them a call and, and this afternoon and say, hey, we missed you at church today. Is everything okay? Um, we'd love to see you again. Perhaps the modern day, just as I am, am song uh, could be the song sung by David Crowder. Uh, and we sing it here. We're going to sing it in just a minute. It's called Come As You Are. Come As You Are. And so as we close this morning, let's sing that song together. But um, if you're like me, sometimes I, if I know a song well, the words are up there, and I'm saying them, and I'm singing them, but I'm thinking about something else. You know, you ever do that? You probably never do that, but I do that. Um, let's don't do that during this song, or any other song we sing at church, but, but during this song, let's think about the message that's in it, and, and how true it is for our life. Um, uh, as, we, as we sing it, let's be thankful that earth has no sorrows that heaven can't heal. No messes that heaven can't clean up. No sin that can't be forgiven. Father, I thank you so much for 
this example of the church at Corinth. Help us, thank you for letting us see that, you know, those, those first Christians, they were pioneers, but they weren't perfect. They had issues too. They, they dealt with the same things that we deal with. Um, and, and they had the apostles right there with them. And they still had a hard time with those things. Uh, so help us to first see that we're not alone if our life is a mess or if we're dealing with messes. But help us not to be satisfied to stay in that mess, but to learn from those letters that Paul wrote and others wrote and from the Holy Spirit that's constantly trying to talk to us. Help us to, to decide, you know, I'm going to get cleaned up. I'm not going to keep living like this. I'm not going to keep letting my flesh win. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit control me. Uh, so uh, help us to understand uh, what our messes are and to let you clean them up. Uh, thank you, Father, for your love and grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.